the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Senator Raphael Warnock defeats Herschel Walker in the Georgia Senate race. This shows us that Georgia is a true battleground state. Elon Musk fires a lawyer who tried to secretly suppress release of files revealing Twitter's censorship. If the government pressures private actors to do things that the government itself would not be allowed to do. And that's a big legal problem. The Taiwanese semiconductor group invests $40 billion in Arizona. This is going to go from $12 billion uh, worth of investments to the $40 billion. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Wednesday, December 7th. I'm Mike Scott. The midterm elections finally came to a close Tuesday night as Senator Raphael Warnock defeated his Republican challenger, Herschel Walker, in a runoff election, which secured a 51-seat Democrat majority for now and gave the first black senator from Georgia a full six-year term. Right now, we're relying on the Associated Press to give us these numbers. And right now, the Associated Press has just given the check mark to Raphael Warnock. He's going back to the U.S. Senate as the winner of this runoff against Herschel Walker, right now at 50.4% to Walker's 49.6%. Raphael Warnock has won the runoff in Georgia four weeks after we held the midterms in 2022, which in effect, Laura, gives you the balance of power now in the Senate. <clears throat> Democrats at 51 Republicans at 49. Walker, in his concession speech, tells supporters to never stop believing in America. But one of the things I said is they, when they called the race, I said the numbers doesn't look like they're going to add up. But one of the things I want to tell all of you is you never stop dreaming. I don't want any of you to stop dreaming. I don't want any of you to stop believing in America. I want you to believe in America and continue to believe in the Constitution and believe in our elected officials most of all. Continue to pray for them because all the prayers you've given me, I felt those prayers. I want to thank all my team as well, Team Herschel, because they put up with a lot. I want to thank Team Herschel. Thank all my donors as well because you guys, without you, I couldn't have done what I've done. So I want to thank all of you as well because there's no excuses in life. And I'm not going to make any excuses now because we put up one heck of a fight. And I said, that's what... That's what we got to do, because this is much bigger. This is much bigger than Herschel Walker. Warnock thanks supporters who were celebrating a victory. And after a hard-fought campaign, or should I say campaigns? It is my honor to utter the four most powerful words ever spoken in a democracy. The people have spoken. 
Back in November, Warnock finished ahead of Herschel Walker by about 37,000 votes, but neither candidate cleared the 50% threshold needed to win, sending that race into a runoff. Decision desk Scott Tranter joined News Nation and says that results of Tuesday's runoff election now show Georgia is a battleground state. This shows us that Georgia is a true battleground state. When we were looking at this state in 2004, 2008, this was a solid Republican state. Georgia is going to be hotly contested, um, both at the congressional level, presidential level, Senate level, and gubernatorial level, probably for the next decade. And we could be talking about Georgia just like we talk about Florida in terms of it being a pivotal battleground state in which both candidates, Republican and Democrat, fight over. Trantor goes on to say that candidate quality does matter. Split ticket voting in the sense that there were Republican voters who voted for Donald Trump, voted for Kemp, but could not bring themselves to vote for Herschel Walker. That's the only explanation. It's the only mathematical outcome. And that's what's what's really interesting. It shows that voters are elastic. Candidates matter. And in a state like Georgia, they may be rock-ribbed Republican, but they're willing to look at a Democrat, especially a Democrat as controversial as Raphael Warnock. Speaking with Fox News, former House Speaker Republican Newt Gingrich suggested that Republicans need to rethink how they approach elections entirely. You have to play the game by the rules that are existing. Uh, That means, for, for example, if you want Generation Z voters, you've got to be on TikTok, even if, in fact, in the long run, we may abolish TikTok as a Chinese communist device. It means that you have to recognize early voting. It doesn't do Republicans any good to save their TV money till October if they've had a third of the vote come in in September. Uh, So and if people are going to have early voting, the huge advantage of early voting is it lets you know who to focus on because they haven't voted yet. And let me just point out, Democrats focus on elections. Republicans focus on campaigns. Uh, Democratic consultants ultimately are paid to win elections. Republican consultants are paid to buy TV ads for campaigns. Very different models. And uh, as I've indicated in a newsletter that's going out tomorrow, we need to really rethink from the ground up. According to reports, before Election Day, Georgia had accepted about 175,000 absentee ballots and 1.7 million people had voted early in person. A total of 1.89 million ballots. White voters had the highest number of votes among early voters, but black voters had slightly higher early voting turnout at about 29.5%, a full percentage point higher than white voters. About 10% of voters under 30 voted early, while 49.5% of registered voters, 65 and above, had already voted by Election Day. A criminal court jury in Manhattan found the Trump Organization guilty on charges in a tax fraud scheme Tuesday. While the former president wasn't involved in the ruling himself, the Trump Corporation was convicted on nine counts, while the Trump Payroll Corporation was found guilty of eight counts. The charges included a scheme to defraud, conspiracy, criminal tax fraud, and falsifying business records. Former Chief Financial Officer Alan Weiselberg of the Trump Organization was indicted last year with prosecutors alleging the Trump Corporation and the Trump Payroll Corporations paid their already highly paid executives even more by, quote, cheating on their taxes, end quote, between June of 2005 and June 
of 2021. The company relied on off-the-books benefits, including luxury cars and free apartments. However, Leland Vinnert of News Nation believes the prosecutor in that case, Alvin Bragg, may not be finished. The jury just handed down the first ever criminal conviction against the company bearing Donald Trump's name. I think these are taped, though. Jurors convicted the Trump Corporation of 17 counts of tax fraud and other financial crimes. It appears Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg is just getting started. Michael DiCiaro, former district attorney for New York City, joined News Nation and says that, in his opinion, Bragg may be setting his sights on prosecuting the former president. I imagine Mr. Uh, Bragg is trying to build a case against the Trump himself or the family personally. That's why he brought in that former prosecutor. So you begin with these types of convictions and then you move forward and look at individual liability. DiCiaro goes on to say that he believes Bragg's pursuit of Trump is politically motivated. Well, look, Mr. Bragg has a serious problem. He needs to score political points with Manhattanites. He's only responsible for this island, but he's going about it the wrong way. What the citizens of this island really care about is street crime. They don't want to get pushed on the subway. And the first thing he did, his first day in office, Alvin Bragg told us and everybody else what he wasn't going to do. There has never been a DA in the history of New York City that has taken office and told you how he's not going to do his job. It it was shocking to see that first day memo. He needs to address street crime like you're showing on the on the screen. That's what people are terrified of. And I and I hear it and I see it every day. The Daybreak Insider podcast will continue to follow this developing story and bring you even more news when it is available. On Tuesday, Elon Musk fired Twitter's deputy general counsel, James Baker, over the suppression of the post-Hunter Biden laptop expose. Musk tweeted, in light of concerns about Baker's possible role in suppression of information important to the public dialogue, he was exited from Twitter today. Prior to working for Twitter, Baker was previously general counsel for the FBI under former director James Comey. Matty Hale of Sky News says that Baker was named in Musk's Twitter files and doubted the credibility of the Hunter Biden laptop story and then sought to suppress it. Well, Elon Musk has taken new measures to hold those involved in the Hunter Biden cover-up at Twitter accountable. Musk announced online, in light of concerns about Baker's possible role in the suppression of information important to the public dialogue, he was exited from Twitter today. Elon Musk is referring to James Baker, who was Twitter's deputy general counsel and has been named in the Twitter files as someone who doubted the credibility of Hunter Biden's laptop scandal and advised staff to suppress the story. Twitter's new owner was asked by a user whether James Baker was asked to explain himself first, to which Elon replied, yes, he was, but his explanation was unconvincing. He has been working for the social media company since June 2020, and before then, he actually worked for the FBI and was involved in the Bureau's investigation into allegations of Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. Journalist Matt Tybee published these files in a Twitter thread over the weekend. Within it, he exposed what was discussed internally within the company when they deliberated over what to do when Hunter Biden's laptop came into the spotlight. Hale goes on to read a confidential email that was released by Musk from Baker. 
Within the files that Elon Musk has exposed was the actual internal dialogue Twitter staff were having at the time of the post releasing the story, which is where James Baker comes into play. On number 27 of Matt Tybee's Twitter thread, he shows an email from former VP of Global Comms Brandon Borman, who questions what the company can truthfully claim is part of their policy. It reads, i.e., as part of our approach to addressing potentially hacked materials, we are limiting visibility of related stories on Twitter while our investigation is ongoing. To which the Deputy General Counsel again advises the staff to stay on the non-course because caution is warranted. The privileged and confidential email reads, I support the conclusion that we need more facts to assess whether the materials were hacked. Hale says that Musk is hoping to simply put the information out to the public for the sake of transparency. At this stage, however, it is reasonable for us to assume that they may have been and that caution is warranted. There are some facts that indicate that the materials may have been hacked, while there are others indicating that the computer was either abandoned and or the owner consented to allow the repair shop to access it for at least some purposes. We simply need more information. So because of that decision-making, James Baker is gone. The Twitter files were widely regarded as a bit of a flop. However, Elon Musk said the other day that there were more smoking guns he will expose. He said in a Twitter space Q&A, we're just going to put all the information out there, try to get a clean slate. We will be iteratively better and it will force other media companies to also be more truthful or else they'll lose their readership. Andy McCarthy is a columnist for National Review and a former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. Join the Salem Radio Network and says what people need to understand is that Musk's Twitter files won't necessarily have a smoking gun. What people need to realize is that uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of room for people, you know, looseness in the joints for people to do things that are shady, but not necessarily illegal. Number one. Hmm. And number two. On both sides of these exchanges of information, you have very sophisticated actors. McCarthy goes on to explain how deep state actors are now more subtle. You're not going to find a piece of paper where the FBI says, let's tell them that there might be derogatory information about Hunter Biden that we know is not really derogatory because we've had the laptop for over a year and we know exactly what's on it. You're not going to find anything like that. But what you see is that there are people on both sides of these discussions who know exactly what's going on. Look at those 51 uh, national security agents who signed the letter, right? Around the same time. Yes. Yes. The one that said the letter, the letter that says, um, you know, it has all the earmarks of Russian disinformation. If you talk to Brennan or Clapper or any of the, any of the uh, uh, fellas who signed off on this letter, they tell you, well, we never said it was Russian disinformation. Uh, we never made that claim. We said it had all the earmarks. Wow. And that yeah. we were very concerned about it. And this is the kind of thing the Russians do. McCarthy says that people should care about the files that Musk is releasing because it could reveal how the government leans on private companies to suppress information. If the government pressures private actors to do things that the government itself would not be allowed to do. And that's a big legal problem. Um, And it's a constitutional problem. Like, for example, when I was a prosecutor, I needed a warrant to to search a house. 
if I didn't want to go get a warrant, maybe because I didn't think I had enough evidence, let's say I had an informant out there. I said, you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if you got into that guy's house and grabbed some documents and brought them to me. <laughs> now, you know, he's an informant. He could go in there. He can he could if if he was acting on his own and he stole documents out of someone's house and he found something incriminating and brought it to me, I could use it. But if I put him up to it, that's unconstitutional because I'm the government. He's now my agent and I need yeah. a warrant. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if, if the First Amendment guarantees us free political speech. And if the government is leaning on these private parties to make them suppress information uh, that the government itself, like the FBI couldn't go in there and order Twitter not to publish. What they could go in and say is, you know, there's a lot of Russian disinformation out there, and it would yeah. be really terrible if you were caught disseminating Russian disinformation. You know, there could be legal consequences for that. Crazy. You know, that communicates to them the message that we better lean on suppressing. And I, I think that's a big problem because the government could not suppress on its own. It would be a violation of the First Amendment. Ed Morrissey is host of The Ed Morrissey Show and editor at HotAir.com and says that the media's reaction to the files Musk released highlights their hypocrisy when it comes to covering other rich men. Two billionaires dominated the news this week. One had spent $44 billion of his own money to purchase Twitter and provide more transparency and freedom of public speech. The other took in billions of dollars from others, allowed it to move back and forth between two of his companies, and made it disappear. Guess which billionaire got vilified by the mainstream media? Elon Musk, Twitter's new owner. They accuse him of attacking and undermining democracy by using the First Amendment as a moderation value on social media. Meanwhile, Sam Bankman-Fried of FTX has been given ample opportunity to rationalize away the destruction of investors' wealth. He's been a darling of the left for his altruistic capitalism campaign, and, not coincidentally, he was also the second biggest Democrat donor this cycle. The contrast exposed mainstream media's corrupt value system, excusing fraud while demonizing free speech and transparency. Fortunately, Americans have a far wiser moral compass. The House January 6th panel reaches a general agreement on criminal referrals to the Department of Justice. Daybreak Insider's congressional correspondent Bernie Bennett is on the Hill and has more on this developing story. Tuesday, the chair of the House committee investigating the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol told reporters that it had come to a general agreement to forward some criminal referrals to the Justice Department. Chairman Benny Thompson walked back statements he made earlier in the day when he told reporters, quote, we will be making criminal referrals. The committee also previously made four referrals for those that argued defied its congressional subpoenas. Another outstanding issue for the panel is how to deal with five GOP lawmakers who flouted committee subpoenas. A list that includes House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. Bernie Bennett, Washington. On Tuesday, Taiwanese semiconductor company TSMC announced plans to triple its investment in new facilities in Arizona. The $40 billion commitment represents one of the largest foreign direct investments in American history, as well as the largest in the history of the Grand Canyon State. Dan Howley of Yahoo Finance explains the latest. This is going to go from $12 billion uh, worth of investments to the $40 billion that you're talking about. Uh, the first plant is already under construction. The second one uh, is going to get underway, and we'll have President Biden there, uh, as well as the founder of uh, Taiwan Semiconductor and 
uh, an appearance by Apple's Tim Cook as well as NVIDIA's uh, Jensen Huang. The the chip plan itself, the first one is going to be making four nanometer chips. That will launch, uh, get underway in 2024. The second one will be making three nanometer chips. Uh, the difference really between that is how many uh, kind of uh, little uh, diodes and, and uh, whatnot that you can add into the actual chips themselves uh, so that they're able to uh, provide more information and uh, run a bit faster. Uh, this is going to be coming from uh, at least part of the funding likely is coming from the $50 billion CHIPS Act uh, that was signed this summer by Biden. And uh, we do have a statement from NVIDIA's Jensen Huang from uh, the uh, announcement. He says, from the beginning, NVIDIA has entrusted TSMC as we invented the GPU and accelerated computing and revolutionized 3D graphics, scientific computing, AI, and self-driving cars. Our ongoing work on drug discovery and climate science would not be possible without them. Bringing TSMC's investment to the United States is a masterstroke and a game-changing development for the industry. And just to give you a sense uh, of how much uh, or how many chips it's going to be putting out, uh, it should be able to meet uh, U.S. demand for chips uh, from uh, the the factories itself. And don't forget, we have other companies that are continuing to uh, push investments, uh, including Intel. And this obviously comes uh, as a result of the slowdowns uh, and backlogs that we had seen because of the COVID outbreaks uh, in China. Howley also says that while some foreign investments in America have not come to fruition, the chances here are better due to high demand of semiconductor chips. This, uh, you know, seems to be something that uh, would be, I would presume, uh, have more pressure from the kind of customers that TSMC has. You know, this is, uh, we're talking about Apple, we're talking about NVIDIA, we're talking about, um, you know, these big name companies that need these processors. And Tim Cook has uh, told Apple employees that they're going to be sourcing from these plants in Arizona. So, you know, for TSMC uh, to to kind of go back on that um, or scale down plans the way we saw uh, Boxconn, yeah, I just don't necessarily see that happening. The, the demand is there for these chips. It's only going to grow. Um, you know, we obviously we have chips in smartphones, the, the cameras that we're using right now, our laptops, but it's not just that. It's our cars, it's medical devices, it's you know, anything that you have that's plugged in now essentially has microchips in it. So uh, I do think that it's going to be something that does end up coming to fruition just because of that sheer demand. Uh, and as I said, it's not just going to be TSMC that's going to have to be built uh, or building these facilities. We're going to have to see other companies uh, stepping up. Uh, as I said, Intel is one of them. We have Texas Instruments, Micron. Uh, a number of other companies are continuing to build in the U.S. Uh, just because, you know, we don't have the capacity that we once had. One fabrication plan configured to produce N4 processors will open in 2024, while a second plant will begin manufacturing in 2026. A federal judge has ordered a Wisconsin company that cleans hundreds of meatpacking plants nationwide to ensure it's complying with child labor laws after investigators identified at least 50 miners scrubbing and sanitizing dangerous equipment on overnight shifts at five different meatpacking plants in three states. Daybreak Insider's Lisa Dwyer is digging into details on this story. 
A federal judge has ordered a Wisconsin company that cleans hundreds of slaughterhouses nationwide to ensure it is complying with child labor laws. After investigators identified at least 50 miners scrubbing and sanitizing dangerous equipment at five different meatpacking plants in Nebraska, Minnesota, and Arkansas. Packer Sanitation Services, Inc. also entered into an agreement with the Labor Department. As part of that, the company promised to hire an outside consultant to review its hiring policies and provide additional training for its managers. In one case, a search of an employment database showed that one employee's age came up as a 129-year-old. I'm Lisa Dwyer. If you plan to mail gifts this year, listen up. Daybreak Insider's Tasha Stevens has the mailing deadlines you should know about. If you want it there by Christmas, you better get a move on. If you're shipping with FedEx, boxes sent with standard ground shipping must be received by December 14th. UPS says three-day select service is available up to December 20th. U.S. Postal Service says retail ground and first-class mail needs to go out by December 17th. Tasha Stevens reporting. And finally, December 7th marks the anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor and the USS Arizona sailor Lou Conter is still alive at 101 years old, recounting the events of that fateful day. Even though his battleship exploded and sank after being pierced by aerial bombs dropped by the Japanese military. Many call him and others in the nation's dwindling pool of Pearl Harbor survivors heroes. Survivor Lou Contour says he's still alive, so he's not a hero. December 7th is a very big day in the 2,403 military men that were killed that day should get the recognition above everybody. They gave their life and they gave the all. Contour said he wanted to go to the December 7th ceremony at Pearl Harbor, but his doctor told him to watch it from home. Getting there, flying there is only a few hours, but getting to the airport and getting up there and sitting around and waiting there, and, and eight or ten hours is too much for you to, to take at your age. And he said, I don't want you getting sick. Contour says the family will be together to watch the annual ceremony. He's an American hero. You know, not only he's an American he's my hero. You know, so um, it's pretty cool. On Wednesday, the U.S. Navy and the National Park Service will host a remembrance ceremony at Pearl Harbor in honor of those killed. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.